What would you do if you lost your children in the wilderness? Walking through the darkness, screaming out their names, hoping at any moment you might find them. But eventually you find yourself blocked off <laughs> by, by a chain link fence. You're like, oh no, most impassable of all obstacles. We'll talk about that story in a second. And then we travel to Brazil to take a look at a man who's trying to make a better life for his family. So he gathers up his gear, heads off into the wilderness to go gold prospecting. Little does he know he's about to get some help on his quest for riches. Help from outer space. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys are having tons of fun doing whatever you're doing. I hope you guys had an awesome weekend. Uh, just so we can address this right up front, I did not see Dune. I know that's what everyone was wondering about. All weekend long, they're like, oh, I can't concentrate. I can't work. Did Jason see Dune yet? No, I'm going to go see it next weekend. I haven't seen the first one yet either. Um, but someone who I'm sure watches Dune all the time, a true Dune head themselves running into Dead Rabbit Radio Command. Everyone get on your feet and give it up for an idea guy. Woohoo! Yeah, we! Ha ha! Yay! Yay! He's all walking on in to Dead Rabbit Radio Command, kicking dust off his shoes. You know what's funny is I say that I have, I'm having a great day. I just found out my aunt died like about 30 minutes ago. Maybe 45 minutes ago. <laughs> a guy came in holding all these balloons. He made me a cake. Happiest day ever, Jason. And idea guy, he supported. He made a donation. I'm a little I'm a little discombobulated. And idea guy, though, the reason why you're getting the shout out is that you made a donation during our Thanksgiving live stream. Really, really appreciate that. I just have a few more names off that list. We did get so many people donating during that that uh, the list is going to. Um, I'm not going to give you the short straw and idea guy. Hold on a second. But yeah, I just found out my aunt died. Aunt Shirley, 66 years old, which sounds old. If, you, <laughs> if that's not 20 years older than you, you know, I'm 47. That's like 19 years older than me. Crazy. Sudden, right? We didn't expect it we don't know what the cause of death was at this point um you know obviously we've had family members that have died of progressive diseases but it's been a while since one of us has just died out of the blue so uh yeah you know obviously like all the phone calls (laughs) like jason wow this is a real chipper episode monday episode the reason why i'm bringing it up one obviously is to you know by recording this, I can honor the memory of my, my Aunt Shirley by talking about ghosts and monsters and aliens and all the crazy stuff in this episode. Also, obviously, you'll probably notice something off about me. Um, yeah, no, she's really cool. I really, really enjoyed her company. I loved her. She always was making the best Mexican food all the time. So, Aunt Shirley, we miss you. Also, let let this be a reminder, because right now, you know, is the time when everyone's, like, regretting not doing enough or hanging out enough or making enough phone calls and, and, you know, all that stuff, which always goes around, especially when someone dies suddenly. 
Um, call the people you love, shoot them that email, send them that text right now, because you don't know when you're not going to have the chance. <laughs> you're all texting people. You're like, oh no, Aunt Shirley died. Oh no, I love you so much. And they're like, who's Aunt Shirley? It doesn't matter. Aunt Shirley is a beautiful woman. I love her very much. She's totally selfless. and She's in a better place. But use this time to acknowledge the people that you want to send a message to. You know what I mean? Let's not uh, have... The less regrets we can have, the better. Is, is kind of the message that I take away from this. Also, I'm still... <laughs> also, I think I'm still in a little bit of shock. We didn't expect this at all. So, but you know, again, the same thing, like when I would go down to Sacramento and I'd be hanging out with my family from time to time, they'd be like, Hey, you want to go over to Aunt Shirley's house? She's going to make all this delicious, delicious Mexican food. And I was like, nah, I'd rather play like Assassin's Creed too. I'd rather just sit on this couch and just chill. And, you know, I'll never have the opportunity to have her cooking again. I'll never have that opportunity to walk into her house and see her smiling and laughing again. So, um, yeah, <laughs> it'll be more upbeat. It'll be more upbeat. Trust me. We're only going to talk about we're only going to talk about dead kids for the first story. But yeah, we miss you, Aunt Shirley. It's a total shock. I can't believe that it happened. I think I'm still kind of processing it. But while that's all going on, an idea guy, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the show financially through the Patreon or the YouTube memberships or the merch store, that's totally fine. It really is. Just help spread the word about Dead Rabbit Radio. That helps out so much. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell everyone you know. Dead Rabbit Radio is your favorite paranormal show. And idea guy, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the Dead Rabbit Dirigible. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. Why don't you fly us all the way out to the beautiful islands, right? It's a plural, of Hawaii. <laughs> nice leisurely ride over the pacific ocean we're headed all the way out to hawaii we're headed out to honolulu hawaii and more specifically than that we're going to the wahiwa botanical garden i know i know it sounds super lame i am not a botanical fan um i know that they have to ex- i know that plants have to exist so we can breathe in oxygen and sure they're like neat to look at sometimes like Grass is cool, trees, right? This is all cool stuff. But I can't think of anything lamer than going to a place specifically to look at plants. Right? Because <laughs> I can do that anywhere. I'm like, oh, look out my window. There's plants. Sometimes you go to the doctor's office and there's plants in the doctor's office, right? Like ferns and stuff like that. But no, it's lamer than that. Sometimes people go, let's get a bunch of plants, plants from all over the world and put them here. And then we'll call it a botanical garden. We could have just called it a garden because that's what a garden is. just a bunch of plants. And you could just walk around and go, look at this over here, Joey. Look at this. That That's a big old leaf. That's a giant leaf. That's like a Fred Flintstone leaf. Oh, Margo, you think that's cool? Turn your head slightly to the right. (laughs) Guess what you'll see? A leaf. Another leaf. The only reason why I'm talking about this garden, because gardens in general are lame. Botanical gardens are even dumber because you can't, like, eat them. This this is the worst one. Uh, Botanical garden's worse because it's useless. But anyways, this one is cool because it has 
possibly, possibly a child-eating monster inside of it. So, if you ever want me to rate something as cool, it has to cause great bodily harm to somebody else. I would rather go to a forklift factory than a botanical garden, because I'm... I'm all spilling oil on the ground. I'm all tearing up people's OSHA paperwork. So I'm like, <laughs> now they don't know how to be safe. They're like, oh, what? I didn't see the paperwork. No paperwork telling me to wear a helmet. Yippee! They're throwing it off. I'm like, ah. I let the chaos commence. This is a botanical. What are we talking about? I'm sorry. I'm super distracted. I'm super distracted. But anyways, I'm thinking about obviously like Aunt Shirley and everything else. Forklift Factory Botanical Garden. So this one possibly has a flesh-eating creature that lives within it. So that's cool in my book. Let's take a look at this. Uh, the legend goes like this. Uh, we don't have a name for this woman. Let's call her Rebecca. Rebecca lived in the area. She loved the Botanical Garden. She loved the Wahiwa Botanical Garden. She was like, wow, look at this. Flowers from around the area. <laughs> Flowers that from other people's gardens... Someone planted here. woo And she would walk around the botanical garden. She loved it. She also brought her two kids with her all the time. And they are brainwashed. They think that this is cool because their mom thinks it's cool. And look at this, honey. Look at the grass. You ever see this outside of the botanical garden? Woo, look at that. He's all rolling around in the grass. And she would take her kids here all the time. Now, apparently, I had to look at satellite footage of all of these. I'll put it in the show notes. Well, it's the Botanical Garden is only 27 acres, which doesn't really seem like a lot. She went to this Botanical Garden all the time, and she'd always bring her kids with her. And we don't know when this story took place. There are some things mentioned in it that there was a bridge that automobiles would drive across. So we know it's, we know it's post, what, 1919? When was the car invented? The Botanical Garden was set up in the 1930s. So I think that's a good baseline. But they said there was a bridge, an automobile bridge, that you could cross to get from one side of the botanical garden to the other. But she never liked doing that because she was afraid that a car would hit her kids. So Rebecca and her kids would walk down this gulch. They'd walk down this gulch to get to the other side. And I looked at satellite photos of the area, and I do kind of see what they are talking about. I think the botanical garden has, at this point, been cut in half. As the city began to kind of move in, it looks like they separated it into two parts. And that would be where most likely that bridge was. Um, and the gulch, she would take her kids down the gulch to avoid getting hit by cars. Well, one night, she must have really liked this botanical garden because she was even going late at night when you can't even see the plants. She has it memorized. She's like, oh, there's that fern over there. Wow. Kids are like stumbling through the darkness. Mom, mom. Ah, thornbush, thornbush. She's walking with her kids through the gulch at night when all of a sudden she realizes that one of her kids is gone. Billy? Billy? Where's your brother Billy at? And her other son, we'll just call him Jake, goes, I don't know, Mom. I don't know, Billy, he was standing right here and standing, he was standing in the pitch darkness. How did we lose him? Billy! The mom's freaking out. She's trying to find her kid. And this is where there's different variations of the story. One of it is, 
at that point, she takes... Rebecca looks for Billy for a period of time. And then her and Jake leave the gulch, go to a nearby watering hole or residence, business, whatever it is. She goes... uh, Because it's like right in the middle of town. She goes and she tries to get help to find her son, Billy, and people did not help her. <laughs> people were like, lost kid in the middle of the night? Ah, sounds like a you problem. It's kind of hard to believe no one would help a grieving mother. However, it's possible that everyone in, it's possible that everyone in town hated her and thought she had some weird sort of plant fetish. A fern fetish. And they didn't want to help her. But anyways, one of the stories is that her and Jake leave the gulch, try to get help. No one will help them. So then she drags Jake back to the gulch to help find her other son, Billy, who's still missing. And none of them were ever seen again. There's another variation of the story that she only had one kid to begin with. Another variation that she lost both kids in the dark in the gulch. She ran to get help. No one would help her. She went back in to find both of them. Gone. She's never seen again either. There's no trace of her or her kids. No bones, nothing. None of them are ever seen again. But what people have seen in the area since this incident, which I wasn't able to find any historical reference that this has actually happened. And this is something we come across. It's possible that that happened. It's possible that it didn't. But the phenomenon could still be real. We've seen this happen a couple times. People will see something, they can't explain it, and they make up a backstory for it. It's odd. So we do see that happen from time to time. The phenomenon, though, is seen to this day. And it is an entity known as the Green Lady. Which is interesting, because we often hear about the woman in white, whether that's the hitchhiker in white or Lelornia, the wailing woman on the border. This is green. This is the green woman. And they can see this green woman walking through the botanical garden or the local areas surrounding the botanical garden late at night. She is described as being, (laughs) spoiler alert, she's green, right? That's the first description. You see a woman that's green, but you go, in what way? Is she wearing like a green dress? Maybe a stylish green hat? No, she's actually covered in mold. She's still wearing a dress and all that stuff, but her clothes are covered in mold. She's covered in mold. And she's walking around the botanical garden. (laughs) This is a botanical garden I would go to. I would gladly pay to see a moldy woman wander around. But it's not just that. It's not that she's just a moldy woman. Apparently, the vegetation on her... This is such an interesting detail. She's covered in vegetation as if she... As if her body did lay there and rot for quite a while and the natural world overtook it. And then she was resurrected. She's covered in this vegetation. But the vegetation itself is rotting away. And the smell is so pungent... The smell is so overpowering because what you're smelling is decaying plant matter. Wave after wave of rotting plant matter is filling your nostrils as this lumbering green woman is walking towards you. Uh, 
doesn't say that she sounds like a zombie. That would be cool, though, right? An interesting apparition indeed. Ghosts normally don't smell. There's a thing that's separate called phantom smells, right? Your grandpa dies, he always smokes cigars. A week after he died, you're walking in your house, you smell the scent of cigar. In the world of the paranormal, that's quite common. A phantom smell. But very rarely do the ghosts themselves smell. A ghost that smells of decaying plant matter. What's interesting about this is, like I said, it could be that the story of Rebecca and her children is real, and that has caused the Green Lady to exist. It's possible that people have spotted this green lady and then made up the backstory, which, like I said, is very common. It's also possible that they're not seeing a phantom, that they're seeing a cryptid. Because of the smell, and because there's two different ways that people see her. One is, it's a green lady, she's covered in mold. The other one is that it's a green lady. She still stinks like rotting plant matter. She has jagged teeth. Her hair is intertwined with rotting seaweed. And her skin is not simply covered in mold and moss. It is covered in green scales. It is a scaly entity. Which, I go, I, I was, when I was reading about this, I go, this is possible that this is a cryptid. And a ultra-localized cryptid. It could be coming from another part of Honolulu. Here, it could be trapped in this area. And we'll get to that in a second. Because we've talked about this before on the show. About urban cryptids. Or the fact that humans, as we continue to build our houses and our neighborhoods into the wilderness. We know this happens with wild animals. Humans keep building further and further into the wilderness. You start having issues with mountain lions interacting with people, bears interacting with people, because we're encroaching on their territory. The same theory should be true with cryptids. As we continue to build out and out, I mean, Bigfoot is just one example, but you could have an ultra-localized cryptid that lived in a particular area. And human settlements came in and now we're on its territory. And it would have to choose just like a wild animal. Does it move? Does it adapt to the environment? It's possible that this is an ultra-localized cryptid. It does seem to have a preoccupation with children. This, the stories go that it's constantly looking for her children. And if she can't find her children, she'll take anybody's kids. So the story seems to be that this green lady has a preoccupation with children. Which normally wouldn't be a problem, right? I mean, I guess because I'm not a kid, I'm not super worried about it. I was like, go nuts, green lady. Normally wouldn't be a problem if you had an entity in the middle of 27 acres of botanical gardens and it really wanted to eat kids. There's not a lot of kids going to the botanical gardens, right? Unless they're being dragged there by their mother. And even if there was, most of the time people are going there during the day. You could smell the green lady coming from a mile away or from 27 acres away. But what I find so interesting about this story and what makes me think that it could be a cryptid is that I said that what happens is if you look at the satellite footage, and, I, and I'll have it in the show notes, the map, you see this big green belt that's listed as the uh, Wahiawa Botanical Garden. And then there's a building 
then it's completely cut in half. You see like roads and you see this big building there. And then against that, you see more green belt with a gulch, possibly like a river or a stream between it. In between these two luscious green belts, there's a building place there that's been paved over. There's a roadway there. So if you do have this localized cryptid, it's now coming right up to the fence of that building. And we see a lot of sightings of it now during the day at the fence line of this building. And this building is Wahiwa Elementary School. Creature wants to eat kids. I honestly can't think of a better place to put in its hunting area than an elementary school. There are sightings of the green lady standing right at the fence line watching the children play. This is a really interesting story. I, I came across it on the Shadowlands.net. It's so many different it could be so many different things. It could be an urban legend. It could be an urban legend based on a real life tragedy. It could be a real spirit, a woman who's looking for her kids. A spirit born out of true tragedy. The idea of a ghost being covered in plant life, which is the ultimate expression of the living world, but then that being rotted plant matter and the smell of it. There's a very evocative spirit. Uh, I can't think of many other ghosts that give off such an odor or any odor as they've manifested. Again, phantom odors, very common. Demons and sulfur, those things kind of go hand in hand, but a ghost covered in this moss. But then also it could be a cryptid. It actually does hit all the tick marks of a ultra-localized cryptid. As a hunting ground, it is more physical than a ghost. A cryptid would carry around parts of its environment on it, just like a scorpion will have dusty feet. A cryptid that's hunting in this area will be all covered in moss and mold. It's an interesting thing. And then, let's put our conspiracy caps on for this. If I was an evil person, and I'm not calling the school district or whoever put the elementary school in the middle of this green area evil, but let's say, let's put on our conspiracy caps, let's say that this isn't just a cryptid. This is almost like a personification of some local cult's god. Then they could have chosen to put the elementary school there on purpose knowing that it would appease their master. I mean, that's obviously, like, that's not in any of my notes. You will find no proof of that anywhere. That's just conspiracy cap. I was thinking about that. Why? I mean, could could be coincidence. Why would you put an elementary school right in the middle of the hunting ground of something that is drawn towards children? It could be a coincidence. It could have been planned. A creepy story, possibly a children's legend that's passed around at the school. However, I was able to find tons of websites talking about this. So I don't think it's just an elementary school legend. It definitely has its roots, no pun intended, in the local community to the point that I had no shortage of finding websites talking about the green lady. Even to the point where I came across the website Haunted Gardens. (laughs) <laughs> that I spent literally like 0.5 seconds on. I was like, oh, green lady, read that entry. I was out. Boo to gardens. But an interesting story. Is it a spirit of a grieving mother? Is it a cryptid? Hunting for young flesh 
Or is it also an evil cult, an evil cult that for the first time is being exposed on Dead Rabbit Radio that worships this monstrosity? And for that reason and that reason alone, they built an elementary school there. No proof of the, no proof of the last one. Your Honor, if I'm being sued for defamation, I have no proof of that one. I just find it terrifying. If true. And is it, Your Honor? Is it? An idea guy, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the world. Famous Carpenter Copter, everyone climb on board. Fire this bad boy up. We're leaving behind Hawaii. Take us all the way out to Brazil. It's July 1939. We're headed out to Serra do Pardo, Brazil. Late at night. It's late at night. July 1939. Serra do Pardo. Nowadays, it's a national park, so don't try gold mining in it. But back, but back in 1939, you know, go nuts, right? You want to chop down a tree and get the rubber out of it? Do it. We're about to meet this guy. Um, his name is spelled J-O-A-O, but I think it's pronounced Shuao. He was living nearby with his family and, you know, just trying to make ends meet. Just trying to get going through life. And his kids are all sitting there and they're like, Daddy, Daddy, we're so hungry. And the mom's like, oh, honey, oh, no, we have no money. We have no money, honey. I was supposed to bake bread today, but I forgot I forgot the oven. Oh, no. I just threw some yeast down in the sun. Uh, we need a new oven. And she, I was like, oh, man, my family's, like, super poor. We don't have an oven. We don't even have, like, a stone oven. Like, isn't that what everyone had back then? You just throw a bunch of bricks and then, like, throw a fire in the middle of it. And he's like, we don't even have that. And she, was like, oh, my family, they're so poor. I have the worst family in the world. I know what I'll do. I'll go find some gold. That sounds like a good, that sounds like a good use of my time. He's like, could go get a job at the factory. But no, I'm going to make it. Rich, go big or go home. <laughs> My home is full of poppers and we don't even have an oven. So I guess I got to go big. So Shuao walks out into Sarah Dupardo. He's gold prospecting. He's camping up there. And eventually, you know, he falls asleep. The first peaceful night of sleep, his kids aren't whining about how hungry they are. He hears this loud whistling sound, though, in his sleep. He's like, huh, what? And he wakes up and he hears a... There's a loud whistling sound. He's like, oh man, what is that? He can't figure out what it is. He said it's unlike anything he's heard before. So the best thing he could compare it to was a loud whistle. So he wakes up and he's kind of looking around. And he hears that loud whistling noise. He follows it to a nearby ravine. Now he's not a dummy, right? It's 1939. He's in the wilderness. So he does have a lantern and his gun with him. He's not just going to randomly bumble around. Looking around. Doesn't see anything in the ravine. He keeps looking. That's when he sees in the woods nearby an odd light shining. So he walks towards that. And he gets to this circular area that's lit up. It's like right in the middle of the woods. This circular area that's lit up. And Chuao takes a step towards it and is frozen in place. Uh, oh, help, help, I'm frozen. Ah, he's freaking out. He doesn't know what's going on. All of a sudden, two people show up. Two people show up. He said they were both about five foot nine. And he can't make out their faces. 
They're standing there, the light's hitting them perfectly, so you can't make out their faces. He goes, they're both about five foot nine. They both were wearing uh, tight-fitting metallic outfits that covered them from the feet to the neck. When he sees these people, that's when he hears one of them say, Look up! So he does. This is interesting, actually. You know what's funny? We talked about this last week. I don't mean to interrupt the story. We talked about this last week. This seems to be common. We've now covered two stories where this has happened. People are completely paralyzed, but their necks. Isn't that weird? Isn't that a weird detail? Because when I was reading the last story about the two brothers who got abducted by aliens, which I got, I got some feedback from you guys. You're like, I don't think they were abducted by aliens. I got a couple of emails about that one. We'll talk about that. Uh, we'll do a follow-up episode on that. But um, they can move their necks even though they were paralyzed. This is interesting. I, I didn't put that action together. That's what I love doing about the shows. Putting stuff like that together. A shoe out looks up and he sees a disc-shaped object hovering about 100 feet above the treetops. He's like, oh, okay. I don't know if he knows what UFOs are, right? It's 1939. Most people didn't know what UFOs were, alien life, anything like that. But still, no one had ever seen anything that massive above their head. He looks up, he sees this giant disc-shaped object about 100 feet above the treetops. He goes, that's where the whistling was coming from. He, he automatically realizes that. He watches a hatch open up. And at that point, the two humanoids walk out of the circle of light, grab Shuau, one by each arm, grab him, and all three of them float up into the UFO. Shuel is probably like dope, dude. Like, talk about lifestyles of the rich and famous. I live in a house with a bunch of poor people. Look at this fancy. He's looking at all these drill bits. He's looking at all of the stuff they're about to put into his eyeball. He's like, wow, look at stainless steel. This is so fascinating. Oh, what does this button do? What are they? They're like, hey, hey, Shuel, why don't you get on this table here? We're going to run some examinations on you. We're going to do some examinations. And that's all of the detail we get. He said that they did examinations on, on him. But they told him. These humanoids said, hey, we're going to run these tests on you. But don't worry. All of this is going to benefit your family in the long run. That's an interesting note to make. Listen, I don't want a hypodermic needle to go through my eyeball until it touches the back of my brain. I would prefer that never happen. But, but if I was a penniless father who needed to take care of his family, then, you know, probably, probably still wouldn't volunteer for it. But if they said we're going to do... Also, he did, not detail, he did not say that a needle went through his eyeball. He didn't say that they pulled his fingernails off. They might have just stuck a stethoscope to his chest and uh, took his temperature. We don't know. But if they said, hey, this is going to pay off in the end. This is actually going to benefit your family. I think you'd be more willing to go along with whatever they're doing. He said that after, after they'd done these examinations, they returned him to his home. They abducted him from... The woods, remember, he was camping, he went looking for the noise. They returned him to his house, and when he got there, he was there around midnight. They didn't expect him there. He was supposed to be panning for gold, looking for gold. He was supposed to be looking for gold. He shows up at the front door, and they're like, did you find any gold? He's like, no, but I have one hell of a story for you guys. Let me tell you about this. And they were couldn't believe him. 
they couldn't understand what he was saying. Because again, there's no cultural context for this in 1939. Alien abductions, what is that? The only way you could put it is in some sort of, uh, you know, I was abducted by angels. I had a religious experience. He's like, no, no, it was two dudes in metallic suits. I was taking aboard a disc. The family's like, okay, he obviously drank too much moonshine. Let's all get some sleep. That night, Shuao has a dream. And in the dream, the two humanoids visit him and they say, hey, the next time you go up to the mountains, we know where you can find some gold. We know the perfect place where you can find all of the riches you'll ever want. And they showed him in his dream where it was. And sure enough, the next time he went out prospecting, he went to where they showed him and struck it rich. Right where they showed him, he found this huge vein of gold. And him and his family lived happily ever after. We don't know, actually, if that last part's true. We do know that he found the gold. I mean, I guess you could argue we don't know if any of it's true. This was a report. This guy was telling this story. What it was was actually one of his descendants, right? This story happened in 1970. This story happened in 1939. One of his family members told the story to Jackson Camargo of GEPUC Brazil, which is a Brazilian UFOlogy group. This story was told by one of his family members. But is that the end of the story? I thought this was super interesting. I read the story about the aliens helping a guy find gold. I thought super interesting tracks, right? Aliens. We've covered stories like that before, I think, where aliens had like a map of of mineral deposits. It would make sense if we look at what aliens are. They're scientists, most of them. Some of them are just Some of them are just sadistic rapists. We've covered those guys before, too. But generally, it seems like they're explorers or scientists or have some sort of noble reason for being here. And then some of them are just downright evil. That's the weird conundrum about the whole phenomenon. But it would make sense that aliens would have access to where mineral deposits were, oil reserves, any sort of natural wealth could be. It appeared to him in a dream. He finds the gold. Interesting story. I had that story ready to go a couple months ago. I was just kind of sitting there. It's an interesting story, but you always kind of want to find the right place for it. And luckily I waited because what a banger of an ending this is. I found the story on the website thinkaboutadocs.com, which covers all of these UFO alien experiences. It's one of my favorite websites because it's just a catalog of all this stuff. I wonder how popular this story is in Brazil. Because that's one thing we've run across this show. We cover stuff from a lot of different countries that seems obscure to us, but turns out it's pretty well known in other countries. I wonder how popular this story is because at the beginning of 2024, January, February, in Brazil, there was a local news story about a man named Shuau Pimenta da Silva. 
I don't know if that's a real popular name in Brazil. It's spelled J-O-A-O. Google told me it was pronounced Shuao, so that's what I was going with. In the city of Ipatinga, which is in the state of Minas Gerais, Brazil, a man named Shuao Pimenta da Silva, who we will call da Silva for the rest of the story, just for uh, not getting confused. 71-year-old man has a dream. Da Silva had a dream where he was showing the location of a vast amount of gold. And he goes, oh my God, I can get this gold. I had this dream. It told me exactly where this gold is. I am going to get it. And I wonder how popular the story with Shuao and the aliens was because that also had the dream of the gold and then he went and found the gold. I don't know if that's a cultural thing down there. Or if Shuao, this Shuao de Silva was familiar with the alien abduction story. I don't know. But anyways, De Silva, 71-year-old man goes, oh my God, I know where there's gold at. It's right within my grasp. It's actually underneath my kitchen floor. And this dream inspired him so much. He goes, I'm going to dig through my kitchen floor and I'm going to find this gold. And now the articles I read, because this story is 100% true. There's a ton of photographs with this one. I don't know if the dream was a pirate's chest full of gold or a gold vein. But anyways, it was enough to inspire him to completely destroy his kitchen. But before that, the silver went over to his neighbor's house and was like, dude, uh, there's gold under my kitchen. I'm going to dig a hole. And I'm going to find a ton of gold. And the neighbor said that he was laughing at first. The neighbor, Antonio Costa, goes, you know what? Come on, De Silva. What are you talking about? There's not, No, no, there's gold. I had this dream. I had this dream that there's gold in my kitchen. And eventually, Antonio goes, he convinced me. Like, he was talking about it, and he was telling me about the dream. He actually convinced me that maybe there is gold in his kitchen. Now, luckily, De Silva had a history of digging wells. So he knew how to core out a piece of the earth and just keep digging down and doing it safely. So it's not like me, who I could not dig a six-foot hole to save my life. He'd probably collapse on me. He'd probably collapse on me and end it. But De Silva's like, no, I know how to build a well. That's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to build a giant circle in the middle of a giant circular hole in the middle of my kitchen. We're going to keep digging so we had the gold and Antonio was helping him out with this. And I think at some point, some other people in the neighborhood, he might've paid them to help him as well. But De Silva starts digging this hole and he gets, he digs it deep. 13 stories deep. Uh, the experts who came in to look at this story after its ending, which is coming up in a second, you're like, oh, what's going to happen with this? They said, we have no idea how he dug this hole that deep because it would take a lot of professional tools and professionals to do this. A 131 foot deep hole in his kitchen. I don't know how long he'd been at it, but the news broke in January, February 2024 when 
on a particular day, they had hit mud and water at the bottom of the pit. And no matter how much they were scooping up, the water would just come in. And so De Silva is talking to Antonio and says, hey, we're going to have to lower a pump down there. We're going to have to pump out this water. And then we pump it up here and we put it, the water in a bucket. We take it outside and then we fill up another bucket and throw that outside in another bucket. I mean, labor. Very laborious task, but he also has just dug a 131-foot pit. He puts the pump down there. It's pumping out water. They're hauling it out by the bucket, and this is going on for a while. Eventually, De Silva goes, hey, well, I want to go down there and see how much progress we've done on this with this pump. This guy is 71 years old, by the way. He's about to be lowered down into a pit that's 131 feet deep. Which I can only assume he's already done multiple times just to dig out that deep. But anyways, this particular time he's being lowered down is like this swing type harness that he's being lowered down in. And Antonio is up on the surface assisting with him being lowered. This lowering process. I'm assuming there were some pulleys involved. I don't think it was just Antonio holding a rope. But as the silver is being lowered, something goes wrong and he slips out of the swing and his arm is tangled up in the rope and he's dangling above this pit. And Antonio is holding onto his end of the rope and he's slowly getting pulled in. He's about to also join his friend in the tumble to the bottom of this pit. Antonio said, as this was going on, I realized something. Um, If I don't let go of the rope, I'm going to be pulled in as well. And we're both going to plummet to our deaths. It's possible that De Silva, because he's not all the way at the top, It's possible that if I let go of the rope, there is mud and water at the bottom. He may survive. (laughs) He may also fall on top of a water pump. But if I hold on to this rope, we both go over. If I let go of the rope, I can get help. And Antonio lets go of the rope and runs, grabs the phone, calls emergency services. They rush out there and they're shocked. I mean, imagine you get a call to a residence. Hey, my uh, buddy just fell 13 stories. They're like, what? But it says you live in this neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, just get down here. Bring rope. Emergency services get out there. By the time they get out there, Antonio is dead. They said he died on impact. Polytrauma was the diagnosis, which sounds like a Harry Potter spell, but it is actually when... You suffer multiple traumas at once, which would describe falling. I don't know if he, here's the thing. Even if he was halfway to the bottom when this rope malfunctioned, that's still seven stories. And again, onto the a water pump. Maybe if he fell straight into the water in the mud, but probably not. He's probably dead either way. They go down. They do retrieve to Silva's body in the water, in the mud. They bring him up. The gold in the kitchen was never recovered. Or was it even there in the first place? That's what's so crazy about this story, right? I mean, if it took place on two different parts of the world, 
I probably never really would have made the connection. Like I said, I had read the story about the aliens telling them where to find gold a couple months ago. And like sometimes I'll have stories and go, okay, I'll, I'll find a good place for that. And it'll just sit there for a bit. Then I came across this story I just told you on my daily, like weekly weird news hunt. The fact that they took place in Brazil, there it's actually, I tried looking at the two locations on the map. They're not, not relatively close to each other at all. <laughs> I was thinking, wow, if these both took place in the same city, then there's something going on here. But even just the same country, Brazil is quite large. But interesting story. Was the second guy, was De Silva's dream real? The fact that they have the same name also, I mean, that could be a thing. That could just be a naming convention over there. It could be their equivalent of Josh or Mike. But an interesting story. And I think, one, you got to admire the man's passion. He's 71 years old. He has something to do. That's the main thing in life is always finding something to do. Once you decide to just sit and rot, you you, you will sit and rot. You're physical, you'll physically rot and mentally rot. You always got to have something to do, whether it's building model trains or speed running video games. Who cares what it is? As long as you have like a focus. I would argue probably not the best focus was a 131 foot hole in your kitchen. But um, I mean, he could have went out and just build wells and communities. <laughs> that probably would have been more fruitful, but he wouldn't have been finding that gold. And I, I almost guarantee you his neighbors are still looking for that gold. I don't think they're going down that pit, but I would dig like a diagonal pit from my house to his or something like that, right? Assuming that, again, I can't even, can't even dig. I can't even make a sandcastle. I probably wouldn't do it, but I bet you people are still looking for that gold. Because he believed in it, and he got other people to believe in it, and he dug, and he dug, and he dug 131 feet. It ended up being his grave. But it ended up being his grave, but it was something that he was fighting for. Like, you can never take that away from somebody. Even if he didn't get it in the end, it truly is a rocky moment. It, not, not literally the rocks he fell on and died in. He, you have a goal and you try to make it and you die in the course of that goal. I mean, what? That's a pretty good. That's a pretty good death. That's a pretty good death. A good death is its own reward. Um, and on the scale of them, dying, doing something that you love, or trying to find gold, you can't really knock that too much. I don't think this is one of those dumb death stories. Like, what? Did you hear about the guy who dug? Oh, you're like, Jason, no, that's actually pretty stupid. He dug a 13-story hole in his own kitchen. He's all sleepwalking. He's like, oh, man, sure do want late night snack. He's all falling down. He's like, I probably should have moved my fridge. I probably shouldn't have had it right next to the 13-foot hole. Hey, you can't knock him. You can't knock him. And it's possible that the dream was accurate and the gold is there. He just couldn't reach it. So I guess the moral I guess the moral of the story is follow your dreams no matter what they are. You're like, oh, that's interesting. I had a dream I was married to Jessica Chastain. So that's why I'm outside her house right now with this ski mask and a lockpick set. Aliens and dreams and green ladies. We've had quite a spectacular episode today. Um, pretty crazy stuff. Pretty crazy stuff. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. 
Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm so glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Peace.